Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God. We thank you for the book of Daniel, uh, for the servant Daniel, um, his faithfulness that endures even for us now. And not just the example that that gives us, but the story in his life of your faithfulness. And so, Father, as we bring this book to a close, may we celebrate you, your glory, your goodness to us, and the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that you would be with all of our endeavors, uh, especially as we break for the summer. God, we do lift up um, our city to you and all that is going on in your church. And Father, we also lift up uh, RTS. Um, and we pray, Lord, that as they really begin to sink in a, a new chapter as a seminary in our city, we pray, God, that you would provide um, students and faculty and a place to study. And so, God, there are so many different requests before us from uh, mission trips to things that we will break, all of these things that we anticipate this summer. We pray, God, that you would be with us. Until that comes, though, help us to sink in now. Help us to dive deep into your word. May we be changed by it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Daniel 12, that's where we're going to be. Daniel 12, to begin... um, I want to begin this way. After, uh, and this is his account, um, after dreaming about the end of the world uh, in a series of dreams, Michael Stipe penned these words. It's kind of early for poetry, so I want you to try to pay attention as best you can, okay? That's great. It starts with an earthquake. Birds and snakes and aeroplanes and Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I have a hurricane. Listen to yourself, churn. World serves its own needs. Don't misserve your own needs. Speed it up a notch. Speed grunt. No strength. The ladder starts with clatter. The fear of height down. Wire in a fire. Represent the seven games. Government for hire in a combat site. Left her wasn't coming in a hurry with the furies breathing down your neck. Team by team, reporters baffled. Trumped, tethered, cropped, look at that low plane. Uh Uh-oh, overflow, population, common group. Save yourself, serve yourself. World serves its own needs. Tell me with the rapture and the reverent in the right. You vitriolic, patriotic, slam fight, bright light, feeling pretty psyched. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine, yeah. By now, if you're paying attention, you know who Michael Stipe is, lead singer of the great Athens, Georgia rock band R.E.M. Penned those words that became just this very singable, popular song. The end of the world as we know it, the end of the world as we know it, the end of the world as we know it, I feel fine. It's amazing how how kind of um, fascinated we are as a society, as a culture, about the end of the world. Uh, And not just in songs and music, uh, but if you think about it, um, literature, movies. uh, Think about some of the great movies that, like um, Armageddon, great movie. I'm kidding, obviously. Come on. Gosh. Unbelievable. but think about literature, World of the Worlds, 1984. I mean, you get, the list goes on. Wally, think about it. It's a great Armageddon type movie, Wally. So many of our culture were fascinated by the end of the world. 
And really, our fascination, I think, boils down to really two questions. When is the end of the world going to happen? Okay, we, want, we all want to know when. And then we want to know what's going to happen. What's it going to be like? How will the world end? You know, is it going to end like in the world of worlds where it's alien invasion? That's how it's all going to come to an end. Or is it going to be more like society's undoing, like 1984? Or like in Wally? Are we going to end everything by just destroying our environment, right? Destroying the world. How is the world going to end? What's going to happen? When is it going to happen? And it's interesting that these two questions really find their place not only in our culture, our society, but in the Bible itself. These are the two questions that are asked to Jesus on the Mount of Olives, Matthew 24. His disciples come to him in Matthew 24 and they say, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus, when is the end going to happen? And what's it going to look like? And of course, Jesus responds saying this. He says, see that no one leads you astray. Many are going to come claiming that they are the Christ. Many are going to lead many astray. You're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be alarmed, for this must take place. And then he goes on and says this, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels nor the Son, but the Father only. And so as we dive into the last chapter of Daniel this morning, it's interesting that 500 years before the birth of Christ, these two same questions are asked. When is the end of the world? What's it going to be like? And these two questions are posed to angels and to Jesus himself some 500 years before he even appears. What's it going to be like? What's the end going to be like? And more importantly, why should it matter to us? That's the question we're going to try to answer this morning. Why should it matter? Why should the end of the world matter to us, especially as Christians? And especially as a bunch of men who, after we leave this room, are going to go on living our lives just like we have been every other day. All right? So, the first thing I want us to see regarding the end of the world, particularly in Daniel 12, is that there will be a resurrection. Okay? There will be a resurrection. We'll just take these in turn. There's going to be a few of them. But there's going to be a resurrection. We see this in verse 1. Daniel 12, verse 1, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. Now, we can't get very far right here until we, just the very first three words, at that time. Okay, at what time? At what time? What, what, time, what, what is the reference of time here? Because things are starting to get very ambiguous. Last week, as Chad taught uh, in, in Daniel 11, we're looking at time in terms of these eras, right? These kingdoms that are rising and falling with each one supplanting the other. But as we get closer to Daniel 12, time becomes more ambiguous. So at that time, well, what time are we talking about here, Daniel? He says, well, at that time arise Michael, the great prince who's charge of your people. Is this the time of Antiochus or the Antichrist? Is this the time of prophesying 168 B.C., the Maccabean Revolt? Or is this the time that is to come in the end of days? Or is it both? We have to recognize that as 
Daniel proceeds throughout the vision, that time becomes more ambiguous and more mysterious. He goes on, he says, There shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, I don't want this significance of what Daniel just uh, penned for us to be lost on you. And the reason is because it sounds very Bible, right? It sounds like the Bible. <laughs> this is very unique, especially for the Old Testament. This is the only place in the Old Testament where you see the idea of a, a twofold resurrection happening. The only place. And it's the first place in the Old Testament that you see mention of eternal life at all. So here's Daniel, some 500 years before Christ is even born, talking about not only 500 years from now, but untold amount of time until the end of the world, when Christ, who hasn't even been born yet, who hasn't even died and rise from the dead yet, when Christ is going to return, he's talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the end of of days. And he describes it this way, there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a resurrection. We see this uh, echoed, same exact language in Revelation 20 and 21. So if you're with us in our study in Revelation 20 and 21, a lot of this language should be familiar to you. Let me read it for you. Revelation 20 verse 11, John says, I saw a great white throne and him who is seated on it, and from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Notice Daniel mentions that book in verse 1. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name was found to be written in the book. Okay, there's a parallel. Okay, John again. John in Revelation 20, verse 13. He says, the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who are in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. That's the context. All right, this biblical parallel, Revelation 20, Daniel 12. This prophecy, both from Daniel and from John, that one day there will be the end. And at the end, there will be a resurrection, a resurrection of all people. And all people will be judged. All people. Resurrected to judgment or resurrected to have eternal life. Now, as Christians, the resurrection is an essential 
doctrine for us. It's been essential for 2,000 years. The Apostle Creed, very last stanza of the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and what? The resurrection of the body. Do you think that way? Do you think of your life, not just in terms of maybe 80 years, but you, do you think of your life in terms of eternity? Do you recognize that you are going to live forever? That we as Christians believe in the resurrection of the body? That you will be resurrected? Do you believe that? Because if you did, if I did, if we really believed that, I think it would change the way we think about life today, would it not? Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection. Why is it so important that we believe in the resurrection? Well, it's not just for our sakes. It's the foundation of everything that we believe as Christians. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, right? He says, some of you are saying that there's no resurrection of the dead. If there's no resurrection of the dead, then we have a problem, don't we? If there's no resurrection of the dead, that means Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. And if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then we of all people are the most to be pitied. There will be a resurrection. We may not know what or when, but we know that there will be a resurrection. That's the first thing. The second thing we see about the end of days in the book of Daniel is that there's going to be a reckoning. That with the resurrection, there is a reckoning. There is a judgment. We saw that in Revelation 20 and 21. We see that in Daniel 12, verse 5. Daniel says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood one on this bank of the stream, and one on that bank of the stream. Okay, two others, others that, other than who? Look at verse 6. And someone said to the man clothed in linen. Okay, so I want you to kind of envision this in your mind. Go, you have to go back to Daniel 10. So in this vision, Daniel sees this man standing clothed in linen. And a couple weeks ago, I argued that that was Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. So he said, now there's two others standing, so you have pre-incarnate Christ, the one clothed in linen. He's hovering over the water, over the river. On this bank, you have one person. On this bank, you have the other. Those names aren't mentioned, but I, I, again, I think we have good reason to believe that one of them is probably Michael, the angel Michael, the other one being the angel Gabriel. So here's Daniel. I want you to put, picture it in your mind. Up hovering above the water, this man, this warrior clothed in linen, and then standing on each bank of this river, on either side, Gabriel the angel, Michael the angel. So here he is, he sees this, and then he hears one of them ask this question, how long shall it be until the end of these wonders? Remember the first question that the disciples asked Jesus, the Mount of Olives. When? Tell us, Jesus, when will these things be? It's the same question in the book of Daniel. When? When are these things going to come to pass? How long will it be till the end of these wonders? And then Daniel looks up and he hears the man clothed in linen who is above the waters, verse 7. And he raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven and he swore by him who lives forever that there would be for a time, times, and half a time 
and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. All right, so what's the answer that Jesus, pre-incarnate Jesus, gives? Time, times, and half a time. What does that mean? No, I'm serious, what does that mean? Because I have no idea. (laughs) I cannot tell you how many theologians and commentators have tried to explain what time, times, a lot of great theories out there, okay? Uh, Time, times, half a time, perhaps it's years, right? One time unit being a year, times being two years, half a time, half a year. That's three and a half years. I could tell you why that uh, seems to be a good theory, where that comes from, right? Judgment lasting for seven years. This is half of it. There are so many ways to go about it. Maybe it's eras or epochs. Maybe it's year, but year really means an age, right? There's so many ways we could take this, and I think we get so distracted just as the disciples were distracted with Jesus. Because remember, what did Jesus say about the end? When's it going to happen? God knows. It's a great answer. God knows. And I think we miss actually what Jesus tells us. Not the amount of time that's going to last, but how will we know? When is it going to happen? Well, what does he say? He says, when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end. Okay, well, what does that mean? When the shattering of the power of the holy people. Who are the holy people? It's the people of God, the people of Israel. Okay, well, their their power is going to be shattered. When is that going to happen? Well, in order to understand what Daniel is saying, you have to understand the Old Testament a little bit. Daniel understood the Old Testament. You have to understand the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32 you have this same kind of language used about the shattering of the power of the holy people. I want you to listen. This is Deuteronomy 32, 36. You want to write this down and go back and look it up. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and that there is none remaining, bond or free. See now that I, even him, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and make alive, I wound and I heal. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and I swear. Where have you heard that before? Jesus just now lifting up his hands and swearing. For I lift up my hand to heaven and I swear. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold of judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries. I will repay those who hate me. So what is this a reference to? When will the power of the holy people, when will it be no more? At the judgment. When we have tried to use every last ounce of our own strength, our own abilities to stand up for ourselves, to try to do our own thing, there will be a judgment there will be a reckoning where all people will be judged. That includes you and it includes me. I think we forget that a lot of times as Christians. And I don't know if that's because we have this vision of heaven, right, that there's these gates and there's St. Peter standing at the gate. He just kind of lets us in. We just bypass all of this. But we're told in the Bible there's going to be a judgment, a reckoning of all people. 
Again, Paul makes this clear in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. He says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We will all be judged. The question is, do you have an advocate standing with you in the judgment seat? You will be judged, but do you have an advocate standing with you in the judgment seat? Because Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 5 to say this, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We will be judged, but the beauty of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, is that Jesus Christ was judged for us. And He bore our judgment on the tree that we might have life. There will be a reckoning. And all those who know Jesus Christ, who are calling upon His name, that reckoning, that judgment will fall on Christ. Okay, third. There's going to be a judgment, a reckoning. Third, there's going to be a refinement. There's going to be repentance. Look at verse 8. Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. That's good. We relate to that, don't we? I heard, but I did not understand. He said, then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Okay, it's the second question. Remember the second question of the disciples on the Mount of Olives. What will be the sign? What will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Same kind of question given here in Daniel. Lord, what will be the outcome of these things? What will happen? What will the end of the world be like? Verse 9, it says, He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. In other words, go on, Daniel. Live your life. Right? This is going to be sealed up. It's going to happen. But go on and live your life. He goes on, he says, verse 10, Many will purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. I think there is nothing quite like the end of the world to have a come-to-Jesus moment, right? And I think that's what we're seeing here. I think it's one of the reasons why we don't like to think about the end of the world very much. But if you really recognize the world's going to end, that there's going to be a judgment then if there's even an ounce of reverence in you, you're going to bow down and you're going to repent. Are you not? And I think this is what this is talking about. Like there's going to be a refinement. There are going to be people as they recognize that the end is coming who are going to repent, who are going to turn from their wickedness and toward back towards Jesus himself. We see the same kind of prophecy given in the book of Malachi. Just listen, Malachi 3. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me, and the Lord will seek, will suddenly come to the temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming. And who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. When Christ returns, there's going to be a refinement opportunity of repentance, that all those have, a, have an opportunity, as Malachi continues to say, return to me and I will return to you. But Daniel also gives a warning. There will be others who are just going to continue in their wickedness, 
who are going to press even harder, even deeper into their sin. There's going to be a refinement. So the question is, what do we do with that now? Well, we don't know when the end is going to come. But what does repentance look like in your life? Right? What are you avoiding so you don't have to have a come-to-Jesus moment? What does it look like to recognize Christ is going to turn? We don't know the day or the time, which means, do you know what? When could it happen? You ever think about that? We always assume it's got to be right thousands and thousands of years, I mean, not in our lifetime. But when could it happen? Well, it could happen today. What does repentance look like in your life? Fourth, there's going to be rebellion. Not just those who are going to continue in their wickedness, but we're told, verse 11, and from that time the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up and there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who awaits and arrives at the 13 and 35 days. Okay, what do we do with that? All right, a couple things here. One, 1,290 days, uh, 1,335 days. Again, a lot of ink spilled over that. 1290, 13, and 35, that's roughly three and a half years. Maybe it's time, times, and half a time. Again, there's so much we could make of it. It's an impossible to know for certain. Again, when will it happen? Only God knows. But here's what we do know. He talks about this abomination that makes desolate. Now, if you know your Bible very well, you know that Jesus actually references this exact verse in Matthew 24. Again, Matthew 24, this is what he says. Verse 25, he says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. I love, that's one of my favorite little phrases in the Gospel of Matthew, let the reader understand. Because if you're honest, you're like, I don't understand. I'm really trying to understand Jesus, but I don't understand Here we are, he says, the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, that's right we're reading, Daniel 12. When you see that happen standing in the holy place, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Okay, what is this referring to? What's the abomination of desolation? What's an abomination? Abomination is a travesty. It is a sacrilege. What's the desolation? Well, it's the temple being desecrated. All right? The temple being desecrated. Right, the worship of God being completely spit upon. Now, when have we seen that? What could this be referring to? Well, a few weeks ago, I talked about Antiochus, the Maccabean revolt, right? Setting up this statue and desecrating the temple. Could it be that? Could that be what Daniel's referring to? Is that the abomination of desolation? Or perhaps it's when the temple was eventually completely destroyed, the second temple, by Nero right? Could that be? The Ro- when the Romans completely destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, could that be the abomination of desolation? Or maybe it's an abomination of desolation that is to come. A future desolation when the Antichrist comes and the world comes to an end. Could that be what it's about? I think, again, what you see in the book of Daniel is this kind of mysterious way that time becomes a little squishy. Because I think he's, yes, referring to 
Antiochus. He's referring to Nero. But he's also referring to evil that is to come. And the point is this. Look, there's going to be rebellion. People who are going to rebel against God and against his kingdom. And we're going to see that if kingdom after kingdom after kingdom of man in this world until the very end. When there will be a, a last rebellion, a last revolt. When people will try to establish a kingdom to supplant the kingdom of God. It's the last thing, what I'll send you to your tables. What do we do with all of this? Well, the last thing I think that you need to see is what finally what is told to Daniel is that there's going to be rest. There's going to be rest. At the end of days, there will be rest. Verse 13, Daniel is told, go on your way till the end. Live your life. Go on your way till the end, and you shall rest, and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. In other words, rest is coming. Know this, rest is coming. Think about all that Daniel has been through, right? Let's go back. What has Daniel been through in his life uh, as an exile in the Babylonian court? What has he endured? Come on, let's review. Where has he been? Come on, my daughters can do this. Lion's Den, yeah. He's been in Lion's Den. Why? Why did he get sent to Lion's Den? Because he was faithful to God and unfaithful to who? To a Babylonian king. Right? Where else has Daniel found himself? In a furnace, right? Well, the three friends were in a furnace. But he has found himself time persecuted, right? Remember, go all the way back to the very first chapter, right? You need to eat this food. I can't do that, right? Time after time after time after time after time. Daniel's struggling to live faithfully after God in a faithless culture that is calling him to do otherwise, right? He's a sojourner, just like you, just like me. He's in exile. And here he is being promised, look, at the end of your journey... At the end of your sojourn, there's going to be rest. There's going to be rest. And so persevere, persist, rest is coming. In the early church, the apostles and the disciples had a saying in Aramaic. It was Maranatha. It meant, come Lord Jesus. It was a prayer. A prayer that as they endured persecution, that they were praying that Christ would come again. Because they knew that if Christ returned, that there would be rest. There would be relief from their persecution. And I think the thing that we need to wrestle with today, as 21st century American Christians some 2,000 years later, is do you ever pray that prayer? Do you ever pray that Christ would return? See, I think for most of us, that would be a very foreign prayer for us. Perhaps a better question is, do you even want Christ to return at all? Or do you feel like, well, i got a few things to do. Like, I really want him to come, but if he could come in like 10 years, I've got some stuff lined up. You know, I've got some things i got to finish. You see, I think because we don't find ourselves perhaps living as faithful as we ought, being as persecuted perhaps of those who've gone before us, that a lot of times we're comfortable. And we kind of like life the way it is. So the thought of Jesus coming now doesn't make sense to us. Brothers, I think we need to wrestle with that.
and wrestle with what would it look like for us to begin to pray that Christ would return, to desperately want that, to want him to come and to vindicate all things, to bring a reckoning, a judgment, to bring the resurrection, to bring all things to become new again. Would we pray with our brothers and sisters some 2,000 years ago, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus? Because I think we're asking the wrong questions. Not what's going to happen at the end of the world, not when is the world going to end, but who? Who is going to rescue us in the end? And of course we know the answer to that. Because at the end of the, end of the world, at the end of days, this isn't just something that's going to happen. It's going to happen because Christ is going to return. And He is going to make all things new. And so we need to pray for it. We need to plead for it. We need to savor it. And we need to long for it. And so I leave you with this. This is 1 Peter 1, verse 3. As we get back into the book of Peter, this week as a church, I thought it would be good to end this way and to kind of bring all of this together. Peter writes this, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Brothers, Jesus Christ is going to return. Until that day comes, we must live every single day with a sense of urgency. The urgency that it could be today. That even if it isn't today, to recognize that God has called us, why there is a today, to seek justice, to love mercy, to be proclaimers and ambassadors of the good news of Jesus Christ and to patiently await in the midst of our sojourn the day when Christ will come again. Till that day comes, we have a lot of work to do. But one day we know in Christ Jesus there will be rest. Let me pray for you and send you to your tables. Father, the book of Daniel ends, we uh, must confess, um, with language and visions that are too lofty for us. They were too lofty for Daniel. And so as we try now in our tables to try to wrestle with these things, to try to understand and even ask the same questions that Daniel's asking, what will it be like and when will it be? I pray, Father, that you would focus our hearts to ask the right questions, to place our, our hope and trust not in a time and not in a thing or an event, but in a person, in the person of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray, along with our brothers and sisters some 2,000 years ago, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. We look to the day when you will return to make all things new, but until that day comes, would you equip and enable us as God's people to live faithfully in a faithless culture, to do the work of evangelism, to do the work of extending the kingdom, to do the work of loving justice and doing mercy, Help us to be faithful to that which you have called us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.